this is a great day. Last Sunday, I went home and I, my, my spiritual batteries were charged. You guys know we do this at 9 o'clock, again at 10.30, and then as soon as this service is over, we start again at 12. And last week, by the time that 12 o'clock service was over, it was so strong in God's presence in this place, it, it was hard to go home. I mean, it was amazing. And, and I just sensed it all day. It was just a work of God's presence an inspirational atmosphere of God's power among us. Hey, that's the way it ought to be. That's the way uh, we should be characterized. And man, that 12 o'clock service, it's growing. Uh, Good things are happening. So we're at a very strategic place. We're at an, an intersection of our church's history that is very important. We are five years away from our 100th anniversary as a church family. On your bulletin, I've given you the title of the series. And notice the five that is there. It is there to shape our vision and our focus that these next five years would be the best years you've ever had. That you would be characterized and we would be characterized as a church by strength. And that we would give ourselves in preparation in such dedication that God would move us from strength to strength from glory to glory, an ever-transforming process of God's power at work in our lives. Now, I I ended last week's message with Joshua chapter 1. I want to start there today. So turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. We'll begin at the first verse, okay? Joshua chapter 1, starting at verse 1. It's going to shape the way... We set our hearts before the Lord and move forward in this journey together. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot... You will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all of the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. That's called conquering. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Strong words from God's word. They're going to shape the way we move forward. He tells Joshua, get ready, prepare a plan, build your lives on the word, and take steps of faith 
in the courage that I give you. Be a people characterized by strength and courage. As Paul said, he's not given us a spirit of fear, but love and power and a sound mind. We're to be strong, the Bible says, strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, characterized by strength. And in order to move forward in that realization, we have to prepare. We must build our lives completely on the word of God. And then when we come to those places where we must take the steps, we will do so in courage. We will do so in faith. But there's something before all of those important pieces of the process that must happen. It's interesting that he starts his conversation with Joshua with something that Joshua knows. He says, Joshua, Moses is dead. Why does he reference that? Israel knows Moses is dead. Joshua was his assistant. He's aware. God doesn't need the information. There must be something going on here that's more than just information. There must be a reason to say the starting point of moving forward is to properly reconcile the past. The reason that he would bring up Moses there in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead, is to identify a vacuum that was left by something that had happened in the past. In their case, their leader was gone. It is a message to every one of us to look within our hearts, and if there's any vacancy, any vacuum, any need because of something that has happened in the past, before we prepare for the future, we need to reconcile that area. Moses, my servant, is dead, is another way of saying, I have dealt with the past, and I am ready to move forward. Every one of us live long enough to have some issues that we may need to reconcile. The rubber band that's pulled, filled with tension, it's ready to go if it's released. All the power is there to progress if it's released. It must be released from that which is holding it back. Same with us. All the power is here to be released into the future. But we must deal with that which wants to hold us back. That's the past. An unreconciled past. For 24 years, I have had the high privilege of pastoring and preaching the gospel. And if you were to say, give us a short list of things that you see over the 24 years that really hold people back from the life God has for them, on that short list would be an unreconciled past. Failure to properly deal by the sovereignty and grace of God with those things that have happened in the past. And you keep running into them. They sabotage the future. They take your energy. They destroy faith. They don't allow hope. No great expectation can form in your spirit because you are sabotaged by what has happened in the past. If we're going to conquer, we must bury the past. And I don't mean bury the past in terms of suppressing it so that it comes back up to haunt us in the future. I mean properly, biblically, by the power of God, deal with the past so that it is in the past. It's over. Wouldn't it be great after these three gatherings for many people to say, finally, I am free from the past. I can orient my heart to the word of the Lord over the future because I'm no longer held 
by this unreconciled issue of history. I want to take the word bury, and I want to use it as a way to get a handle on this lesson today. I don't know that there could be a more important message. I want to break down this so that we get a hold of it. B is this, bring yourself to the cross. That's the starting place. I don't want us to go and focus on what has happened in the past. I want us to come and focus on the cross. Because when we focus on the cross, we see that God placed on himself the worst of humanity. All of the pain, betrayal, abuse, disappointment, he took upon himself and he died, was buried, and rose again. And in his sacrifice and resurrection is the power to reconcile the issues of history. If you focus on your problem, you will probably just magnify it until you don't see any way out. If you come and focus on the crucifixion, you begin to see where you are in that very process. Where are you? Galatians 2.20 will teach us. Look at this verse with me. It's probably one of the most powerful verses you could ever read. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. People who haven't reconciled the past make place for what Jesus has done for them, in other words, to down a cross to save them, but they've not opened up the power of salvation to go deep within them to where even the issues of the past can also, listen, be saved. Hear this, God wants to save all of you. Why would I even say that? Because how many Christians do you talk to? How many Christians do you know? They are saved. They are forgiven. They're on that that record book of heaven. They have been forgiven. They've asked Jesus to come into their heart. But yet they struggle with bitterness. Or they struggle with another stronghold. There's a thought pattern that just has them literally captivated. There's a compartment. There's an area. There's a place in their soul. There's a brokenness. There's a dysfunction because of something that has happened in the past. I'm telling you, the cross wants to go there and save all of you. It's not just what he's done for you. It's what he's done to work in you. Let me, let me put this in the words that I recently read, and I thought, That's, that is it. It is possible, he writes, to see the cross as Jesus, Jesus doing something for us, not with or in us. So you believe in Jesus, but have massive areas of your life that are unaffected, not realizing that salvation is for all of you. And when you don't realize this, He develops this whole idea of how you go forward and you realize you can't fix yourself. And even if you have success, you find that success can't fix you. It can even make it worse. You see, you can't fix yourself. I can't fix you. Success nor failure can fix you. It is the power of Jesus in what he did at the cross that can fix you. So we come today and we focus on the cross. And let's put ourselves into this. This is an amazing verse. 
Pray through this verse through the week. Study this verse. Open this verse. And when you come to the cross, don't just see Jesus doing something for you. Include yourself. My old self has been crucified with Christ. That's deep. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Once you come to Jesus and realize that the cross is not just something he does for you, but with you and in you, then you reconcile the past. Watch how you orient to the future. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Bring yourself. Not just your need to have the assurance you're going to heaven when you die. Not just that part. Bring yourself. Kicking and screaming if necessary. Bring yourself to the cross. Focus on the cross. Not what someone did to you. Or not what you did. Focus on the cross and then see history in light of the suffering of Jesus. Here Isaiah throughout the years of history saying, of that very moment, he's wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement, all of that punishment was so that we could experience peace. So that by his suffering and by his stripes, we are healed. We can't fix ourselves. No amount of success can do it. It's the power of Jesus' sacrifice that offers you an answer, a response, no matter how deviant, how desperate the measure was against you. There is a response so that once and for all, you can bury the past. And orient your heart for what God wants you to possess. Let's praise him right now that the power of the cross is the answer. Bring yourself to the cross. Here's you. This this will help us unload the guilt. You have to let and allow your heart to be forgiven. If you don't allow your heart to be forgiven and the guilt remains, there is no way that you can have the future God wants for you. The guilt will sabotage your future. It'll hold it hostage. In a moment, I'm going to put up a picture. I don't want them to put it up just today. I just want you to focus on that, that thought of unloading the guilt. On Easter... I told you about a law in Tennessee. Matter of fact, one of my lawyer friends from Tennessee is here today. Great man of God. It's great to have you visiting here. He brought me a commendation from the Tennessee Senate that just gave great accolades to the church that we pastored for ministries that the Lord allowed us to start while we were there. So it's a neat day. He's a lawyer in Tennessee, and he can tell you about this. They passed a law about three years ago so that anyone who's convicted of drunk driving, they have to wear a blaze orange vest eight hours a day for three days in very public community service. And on the back of the orange vest are these letters that say, I am 
a drunk driver. So they are wearing their sin and guilt for everybody to see, robed in it. Now, I I take that, and I want to bring it over into the way we approach sin and guilt in our response to the Lord. And often, if the devil has his way, he will take us into the closet of our past sins, and he will want us to clothe ourselves in the guilt of those past sins, and we will move into our very public life, dawning all of the guilt, so there's no dynamic influence on our world, there's no great expectation for the future, there's, there's no enthusiasm that comes from knowing God is in you, you're just plodding along under the heavy weight of guilt. Do you see how it sabotages the future? So what I did at Easter is I took some orange vests and I identified some sins, and then I took them, and notice the picture, I literally hung them on the cross. And I did that so that it would communicate that when Jesus was on the cross, he was bearing every sin, every sin, past, present, and future. So that when you bring yourself to the cross, and you get honest with God, and you confess your sin, then you can know you're forgiven because he has already paid the price. Because he bore it, wore it, all the way to Calvary and had it nailed. I'm talking about the full list. Every single sin. And now, because of what he's done, when we ask forgiveness... We bear it no more. We're no longer clothed. And yes, we'll be tempted. The enemy would love to bring up the past and have us to try and move forward in the guilt of the past. But we know we've unloaded. We've unloaded the guilt. Let me give you a verse from Psalm 32. Psalm 32 helps us right here. Verse 5 says, Finally, I confess all my sins to you and stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. I want that for you. I want the guilt lifted. You cannot process the incredible future God has for you through the guilt of the past. Today, we bury the past. How? Bring ourselves to Jesus. Unload the guilt. So that when we leave, we really say there's no condemnation. Not a little condemnation or some condemnation. No condemnation! It's hard for us to wrap our minds around because we think in terms of probation. Okay, we ask forgiveness and now we go out and we're on probation to see if we do it again. And if we don't mess up, we someday may work off even the original violation. When you come to the cross, Jesus doesn't forgive you, but then put you on probation and make the Holy Spirit a probation officer. Jesus forgives you, and he removes the guilt and gives you the Holy Spirit as a prayer partner and the empowerment to overcome the past. Do you see why being a Christian is is like the light? Because it's where you're empowered to finally deal with the past. Hallelujah, I'm reaching to you today. Don't you spend another moment under the burden of the guilt. Psalm 32.5 can be your verse 
bring yourself to Jesus, unload the guilt, here we go, or release anyone who has hurt you. This is a tender subject when you talk to people about releasing those who offended them, hurt them, violated, betrayed them. But the toxin of that disappointment and trust factor, if it works in your heart, it'll set up a cynicism and a bitterness that will literally destroy your future. We have to find in the grace and the power of Jesus the ability to release and forgive. Martha Tennyson made this statement. It's branded on my heart. It's so strong, so powerful. She said, the person who hurt you cannot heal you. So release them. I'm not saying they deserve to be let off the hook. And I don't think they are off the hook. Because God is still God. I don't think God is out to punish them. He is out to lead them to repentance. But he is a just God. And he's keeping the record. And when you release them, what you're doing is releasing yourself. That's what you're doing. And there is no way to embrace the future through unforgiveness. It's, it's that restricted rubber band. It's you're poised and ready, but something keeps holding you back. It's unforgiveness. The word unforgiveness in Matthew is a fascinating word picture. It, it gives the word of wicker. You see wicker in furniture, and it's, it's shaped and fashioned and fixed. And when you live in unforgiveness, it weaves like wicker, like a prison around you, so that when you sense an urging to go forward, that that's an unresolved area of your life, you run into the restraint, the restriction. You're inhibited. You're held back because of unforgiveness. Release anyone who has hurt you. Every Tuesday morning now, our hospitality room is literally filled with ladies that are studying God's Word under the leadership of Beth Moore. It's happened now almost every year I've been here. Matter of fact, they were in a study when we moved here that Beth Moore had produced. She's one of the most insightful teachers of God's Word on the planet. Such an incredible gift. And if you know her story, you know that she was sexually abused as a child. She talks openly of how it, it, it had great impact on her personality. She became this withdrawn type of a person. And as she grew older, around age 18, she's thinking that God was calling her. And yet she was trying to reconcile this energy of God leading to a call. But this, this damage by what had happened through the sexual abuse. She's sitting in a church in El Dorado, Arkansas, trying to figure all of this out. God starts working in her, works her through a process of healing and forgiveness. Years later, she goes back and she talks to the man who had violated her and said, look, I, I forgive you. It's just natural to think he would say, no, no, I should have come to you. I am so sorry. You'll never know how sorry I am. If I could turn the clock back, you would think something like that. He didn't say a word. And it's a good thing she... She wasn't going to him, looking to him for her healing. 
Because the person who hurt her can't heal her. Or you. She went to release him by the grace of God. And by releasing him, she released herself. I am, I'm not getting into areas of, of law. They're fixed and they're there for a reason. And I believe in them. I'm talking about in her heart. In her heart, she needed to release him in order to go forward. And so she forgave him. Did he deserve it? Naturally, no. Do any of us deserve forgiveness? We don't. This is just one of those things where we just have to not go by feeling, but by God's word. And so she released that person. Now, let me bring it forward. Think about this. The devil was after that gift of teaching that would merge with her experiences into a future of being one of the most influential Bible teachers of all time. The devil didn't want that. The devil doesn't want ladies filling up church rooms like it's happening here, being influenced by this tea. Don't you know the devil hates that? He was after that gift. He's after the, uh, he was after her future. He's after your future. Listen, the next five years will not be the best unless we get intentional and battle for possession of our future. Because the devil is always after the future. He will always present options. He will always bring distraction. He will try and bring discouragement and pain. Anything he can to get you from possessing the destiny for which you were created. He doesn't want us to be characterized by strength. He would like us characterized by brokenness, despair, bitterness, and dysfunction. All of those could be descriptions of Beth Moore. But because she brought herself to the cross, unloaded her heart, and she released that person, here she is just moving in the dynamic power of the Spirit. And she's taking what the devil meant for evil, and through the grace and sovereignty of God, it's being turned to a great weapon of, of striking the very darkness of sin and helping a lot of people come to salvation, walk in the light, and find a renewed strength and restoration in Jesus. And the same can happen for you. She went back to her hometown to do like an outreach crusade type thing. There wasn't a venue large enough. And more people came than, than live in the town. A lady came up to her after that great outreach and said, you need to know that every Tuesday there's a church here in town and the place fills up as we play your videos and study the word that you're teaching. And it was her home church. The place where the abuse happened. Striking the darkness with a response of grace. You cannot possess your future if you're holding unforgiveness towards someone or something in the past. And I don't minimize the deep impact. But you have to come to the cross. There have been things that have happened in our history. I said, I'm never forgiving that. I figure there's going to be a lot of Christians in heaven that have a lot of sin in their life or who would go. So I'll just go with that one. I'll take my chances. I've seen people do all kinds. Well, you know, they're going to heaven. I know they do that, but they're going to heaven. Well, I've got me one. 
It's no way to live. It snuffs out life, vision, vitality, hope, expectation. You weave your own personal prison. Release anyone who has hurt you. Do you receive that today? Finally, yield to God. Yield to God. Yield means to give place or precedence. It means to surrender. It means to submit. Lord, I yield to you. With all of my questions and pain and frustrations and challenge, Lord, I yield to you. I give place, that place in me to you. I give precedence to your grace over the past. I submit and I surrender to you. Isn't it interesting how he then takes, and isn't Beth Moore a great example of this, all of that past issue and through his sovereignty and grace, it becomes part of your story. You'd never want to have to go through it again and wish it would not have happened the first time. But in the grace of God, you find help and healing, and then you, in turn, help others. Can't help but think of Joseph. Is there anyone in this room that's 17? If you are, would you raise your hand? Just anybody 17? I know our 17-year-olds are in a class right now, a lot of them. But right over here, you're 17? Why don't you think about this? When Joseph was 17, his brothers threw him in a pit. And the Bible says they saw his anguish and heard him screaming, and they did nothing. Now, that's a dysfunctional family that would do that. They throw him in the pit. He's 17. They're going to kill him. He would die there, but they had enough in their heart not to to like let him die in the pit. So they get him out and they make a little money on him and sell him into slavery. He's taken to Egypt, so now he's taken from his home. He's taken to another country. And now he is uh, in Potiphar's home. You know that story where his wife tries to seduce him and then lies and says it was Joseph. And, and so Potiphar has Joseph thrown into prison. By the time Joseph gets out of prison, he's 37. Now imagine, 17, 20 years. And let's just imagine that he walks on a church platform and he's going to talk for the first time after being so betrayed by people he should be able to trust. Sold into slavery, jerked from his home, and then in prison. This would be the poster child of victimization, of every kind of brokenness and bitterness. And when he lifts his voice, Joseph says, what the enemy meant for evil, God has turned for good. For the saving of many people. Because along the way, he released and yielded. He brought himself to God. He unloaded his questions. He released those who had hurt him. And he yielded to God. And he experienced the power of God. The only power that can help you bring any connection or reconciliation of all of those questions or thoughts. Not answers reconciliation. 
You don't get answers for some of the things that happen. You just get power to overcome. And you reconcile that by the grace and the sovereignty of God. God, none of us, when we're looking at the 17-year-old and we look at Joseph thrown into the pit, when he gets thrown into the pit by his brothers, we go, oh, okay, we get this. We know exactly. Oh, we get it. God's just making a prime minister. Nobody thinks that. We're like, what's going on? We, we're so, we're, we're focused in on the immediate seasons and we don't see how God and his sovereignty is going to connect all the seasons because in the future there's going to be a famine like the world had never known in Egypt and God is going to need his choice leader to be in Egypt. How do we get in there? No one would have ever thought slavery. But when the slave traders bought Joseph from his brothers, where'd they go? They took him to Egypt. That's where they lived. He rises up in leadership in Potiphar's house. They lie. He gets thrown into prison. Promises are broken. Promises that were made to him are broken. But he's finally remembered. And you know the story. This this coat of many colors, this robe that his dad gave him that's torn, that signifies it's over for Joseph. He ends up in a royal robe as the prime minister. Saying everything that happened that you meant for evil, God has turned for good. For the saving of many people. And he conquers. He not only conquers the famine of the land, he conquers the need for God Jehovah to be made real. And at least he's honest with us. He doesn't have this ability to just bounce back from that. No, he had to release his brothers. When his brothers came to him the first time, they don't even know it's Joseph. Joseph is in charge. He has the resources. They're just starving and they come to Egypt for food and they're asking for resources and Joseph is like, that's my brothers. We get to see the internal struggle Because he goes and he finds some precious silver from the temple. And he has one of his assistants hide it like in the backpack of one of his brothers. So then when they go back home to give report to dad, then he'll send his his secret service to go say, Hey, hey, we want a a little TSA here. You're going to go through security before you leave. We're going to shake you down. We want to look in that backpack. And when they look in the backpack, go, Oh, no, you didn't. You, you have stolen from the prime minister. Joseph did that. You know why? Because he too had to go through this process. Am I going to get even? Am I going to get them back? Because here's my chance. So I'm thankful for the, the reality of his, his own battle. That he works through it. And he releases his own brothers who hurt him. And we see in the sovereignty of God. Jacob wants to marry Rachel. Rachel's dad says, I can make some money on this deal. He says, you want to marry her? You will work for me for seven years. He says, I'm in. He works for seven years to marry her. And his dad, I don't know how this happened, but he slipped Leah in there. Have you read that story? He ends up with Leah. How does that happen? I, we just had to be there to figure that out. How, how do you wake up the next morning and go, it's Leah? 
And he works another seven. Because he wants to marry Rachel. Rachel's dad's doing this to his daughter. And how messed up can a family be? And Rachel's so twisted that when she finally is able to give birth to her first son, she names him not enough. She just thought if that could just happen, it would be enough, but it wasn't enough. Because none of those things can heal you. Move to another town. Get another job. Get another spouse. Have some other kids. Not enough. Because only God can heal you. Finally has another son. She dies giving him birth. And Jacob says we will name him Benjamin. Move forward in the sovereignty of God and look at the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, the most influential person ever for the kingdom of God other than Jesus Christ, who is Paul. Listen to Paul introduce himself. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. I wonder what God is weaving into an incredible tapestry of influence through the fabric of your character. When people read the story of your life, because we are all known and read of men, look at the story that God's writing. And if you'll bring yourself to the cross and unload the guilt, allow your heart to be forgiven, release anyone who has hurt you, and just yield to God. And you will find, as Beth Moore found, as Jacob found, as Joseph found, that God will bring you through. You've got to bury the past. Today. The future is too awesome, too bright, too filled with purpose to let it be sabotaged by an unreconciled past. I believe you're ready. Would you join me in prayer?